0: Connecting life and faith. This is Connections.
1: I would say that God's the author of marriage. It's his institution. Uh, He created it. He knows what marriages should and shouldn't be. And he has given us different roles and responsibilities. Men and women are equal. Husbands and wives are equal. Mothers and fathers are equal. But our roles and responsibilities are not identical. And so God expects different things from husbands than he expects from wives. And I really believe that marriage can be the joy and blessing and gift that God desires it to be if we obey those commands or seek to fulfill those roles that he's
2: given us. We're joined today by Scott LaPierre. He is a pastor, author, and speaker. His latest book is Your Marriage, God's Way. In this book, he carefully examines principles for building a strong biblical marriage, one in which your relationship with Christ brings guidance and blessing into your relationship with your spouse. Now, Scott has plenty of experience. He's been married for 15 years, and he has nine children as well. As a great marriage today on Connections, he's going to share with us how we can start building long-lasting relationships with our spouses. We're joined today by Scott LaPierre. He's a pastor, author, and speaker. You've got a great book, Your Marriage, God's Way. And one thing that we read about you that has really stood out for us, um, first of all, is the fact that, you know, you're talking about marriage. So the first thing we thought is, is he married? Yep, he's married. And he's got nine children, and he's got a very happy marriage, and he's writing about this now in a book. Tell us a little bit about your family and how with nine kids, you can have a great marriage.
1: Uh Sure. Yeah, The people notice that pretty quickly. So my <laughs> wife and I grew up together in Northern California. We weren't Christians at the time. Uh, we became Christians in our early 20s. And when we got married, we both had the conviction not to try to have a ton of kids or try to have nine kids or anything, but just to let God give us what he wanted to give us, and he could have given us three or four, and you know maybe he'll give us ten or eleven. Uh, we have nine right now. My wife turned forty uh, last year, and so yeah, we just wanted God's fingerprints on our on our family to to create it for us. And it's not a commentary on what other people should do, uh, but that was just how we felt led. And God's always provided for us, and we're thankful for that. I was a, a school teacher. And then a pastor, I'm a pastor now, and neither of those professions make a lot of money, but God is always (laughs) (laughs) taking care of us. I think that's why Harvest House wanted me to publish a finance book, which was my book after my marriage book, because they thought this guy must know something about finances to be able to, you know, take care of nine kids on a single income pastor's salary that really has more to do with God providing. So we praise Mm -hmm.
0: him. Tell us, uh, what are the age ranges of the kids?
1: Yep, thanks, Mike. Yeah, so my daughter is the oldest, and she is 14. We have five girls and four boys, and then the youngest was uh, hes about nine months old. Wow, that is a busy household, but at least Definitely. the
0: oldest now, they can help out a little bit, I guess, hey?
1: Yep. <laughs> <It's>, uh, we, <laughs> I wanted a son first, I think, in my mind. I thought, well you know, if we have a son, he can protect his younger siblings. And someone told me, no, you really want to have a daughter first, who's going to be able to help help your <laughs> wife. And sure enough, that person was right. <laughs>
2: well, what's great is what you mentioned earlier, you didn't come to know God until you were in your 20s. Tell us a little bit about that and, and how you came to know God.
1: Sure. Yep. Yeah, I'm always happy to talk about that. Thank you. So I was raised uh, not in a large family myself. It was just my brother and I. And when he was a year younger than me, and he Kind of shockingly, became addicted to drugs, and then in his, um, I think he was 21. He died of a drug overdose, and I was struggling. And some people I taught with who were Christians went to the same church, and they said, "Hey, you really should come to our church to talk to our pastor because he lost his brother when he was about your age." And at that time, I didn't I didn't go to church because I, you know, wanted to go to church or wanted to pray or worship or hear God's word or anything like that. I just went because I was struggling and I thought this guy could help me. And then I went and someone gave me a Bible and the pastor, I still remember that, that day he had us, asked us to open to First Peter and he read a verse and explained it and read a verse and explained it. And I thought, wow, you know, God is speaking to me through his word and I can understand it. And I heard the gospel soon after that and recognized my sinfulness and need for a savior and uh, put my faith in Christ. And, and then I, I saw some changes in my life. One of them was that I didn't, as much as I loved teaching elementary school and coaching before that, I then found a passion for uh, ministry. I wanted to be telling, let's say I want to tell people to open their Bibles versus tell students to open their math books. <laughs> and so, yeah, that was a pretty dramatic transition. Um, I started working part time at a church. And then the church grew and they hired me full time. And that was in California as an assistant pastor. And then I came up here to Washington went for the teaching pastor position that I'm at now.
0: Uh, and how long have you and your wife been married? You mentioned you grew up together.
1: Yes. Well, we've been married 15 years I kind of wish we would have gotten married earlier. Would have, would have, maybe solved some problems because we had we had dated some other people. And I kind of look back now, and Katie and I joke about, hey, boy, it would have been great if we got married when we were in ninth grade or something, you know. And <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we've been married 15 years, and yeah, she's she's my best friend. It's not, you know, you write a marriage book, but there's plenty of humbling times where. We acknowledge we have our marriage problems and we're selfish and we argue and, you know, I put on marriage conferences and I do marriage counseling and obviously I I preach at a church regular, the church I pastor regularly. And I I try to tell people, hey, you know, don't put us on a pedestal. We have plenty of weaknesses. And part of the marriage book is me talking about my failures as a husband and what I've learned. It's not... Um, it's not to say that we're above any of this or that we have, you know, we can sit in sometimes after arguments and be like, boy, this is embarrassing that, mm-hmm. you know, I wrote a marriage book or I do these marriage conferences because we have our own, we have to look to Christ. We have to rely on the gospel. We have our own issues just like everyone else does.
2: Was it those failures that led you to write that book?
1: Yeah, good question. At, toward the <laughs> beginning of the book, I kind of mentioned that. And if, if that's why you're you're asking, I had... Recognized that I was failing as a husband regarding prioritizing my wife and and loving her as Christ loves the church or loving her as as the Bible commands, and I had to recognize that I was putting the church ahead of her. I wasn't I wasn't uh, giving her the time that I should. Basically, I became I had been an army officer and a school teacher and coach, and I had. So, I had done other things and saw how busy they kept me, but I was just completely unprepared for the stress of being a pastor and how much time is involved and so it was it 's just very easy because everything associated with pastoring or ministry seems good, so it 's hard to say no um, being a pastor isn 't saying no to bad things it 's frequently saying no to good things if that makes sense because there's, mm-hmm. there's always there 's always needs there 's always people that want counseling there 's always people that want their emails answered their questions you know responded to. And so, I mean, there was, there was times, there were stretches, you know, I didn't have a day off for months and, and working these very long days and still feeling like I couldn't get caught up on everything. And then, of course, my wife's at home with these small children, and, and she's overwhelmed, and we're homeschooling, and, and it was like, boy, I'm doing a, I'm doing a poor job here. I mean, do I, what's more important? Is it more important to be, to be a great pastor, which I, I don't think I, I was, but I was pursuing that, or is it more important to be a great father and husband? And so I had to get my I had to make some um changes.
0: So the book is called Your Marriage God's Way. What what is God's Way of Marriage? What is the the biggest thing that you focus on in the book to help people uh have a healthy and strong marriage?
1: Right. Good question, Mike. So I would say that God's the author of marriage. It's his institution. Uh, He created it. He knows what marriages should and shouldn't be. And he has given us different roles and responsibilities. Men and women are equal. Husbands and wives are equal. Mothers and fathers are equal. But our roles and responsibilities are not identical. And so God expects different things from husbands than he expects from wives. And I really believe that marriage can be the joy and blessing and gift that God desires it to be if we obey those commands or seek to fulfill those roles that he's given us. And we, we've seen a lot of deviation, um, you know, from the Bible. Uh, and I think it's been to our detriment, to the detriment of the institution of marriage, but also to the detriment of people's joy and happiness, because I don't think that we're going to have the most, um, I don't think we're going to have satisfying or joyful marriages if we're, or at least not as joyful or satisfying as they can be. If we, if we strive to apply God's word to our, um, to our marriages.
2: When people pick up this book, what are you hoping that they're going to take away from it? Or what are you hoping that this will help? Or how do you hope this will help couples?
1: Mm-hmm. Good. So I, I hope it helps people grow in their knowledge and, and understanding of God's Word. I believe it deals with many marriage passages that are pretty familiar to people, but I, I hope it gives them new insights and explains those passages in clear And and understandable ways. I hope it points people toward Christ. I hope it helps people grow in their relationships with Him. Um, And I hope it helps. And by growing in people's relationship with Christ, I mean I hope that it helps people have Christ-centered relationships where they pray together, read the Word together. There's a lot of emphasis in the book on having a strong vertical relationship with Christ, so that you can have a strong horizontal relationship with your spouse. I really believe that. As we look to Christ and as we apply the word, which is really something vertically, spiritually, then I think that strengthens the horizontal relationship with our spouse. And so I hope that basically if I made it really, (laughs) I guess I made my answer a little longer than you might have wanted, but I was hoping people's marriages would be strengthened, but maybe even more importantly, their relationships with the Lord would be strengthened.
0: That's pretty cool. And as a couple kind of thing, then as a couple, their relationship with the Lord is strengthened. Uh, Speaking of Jesus and his ministry to people, one thing that stuck out to me is um, that you give readers a tool to recognize and resolve conflicts with a heart of hope and compassion. And that word compassion leapt out at me for resolving conflicts. Like my wife and I have gotten a little bit better at resolving conflict over the years. But I don't know if I've ever approached reconciliation with her, I guess, like with a heart of compassion for her and resolving that conflict with compassion. How did you how did you learn that? How'd that come about? And and what does resolving conflict with compassion look like for our spouse?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, great question, Mike. So what happens, uh, just picture the scenario, a couple comes into counseling and they sit across from me, you know, sometimes sitting across from each other too. you know, on opposite ends of the couch and, and they're upset. I feel like people typically come into counseling months later than they should have, or maybe years later than they should have. And so by that time, these could be an amount of bitterness or resentment that's set in. And they're pretty convinced their marriage is just going to stay this way. And so let's just say Ephesians 5.25 commands husbands to love their wives. And there's a wife that's sitting there and she says, you know, my, my husband doesn't love me. And you look at the husband and then what does he say? He says, of course, I love you. You know, I work hard every day. I come home. I'm faithful to you. And, and he's upset that she says uh, that he doesn't love her. And, and then, and then he's, up, you know, he's upset. She's upset. And so I noticed that you have to deal with the way people feel. And not what people say. So, in other words, and if I ask the husband, if I say, "Do you love your wife?" What's he's gonna What's he gonna say? He's gonna say, "Yes, I do." And so, I'll tell him it's not really about what you say; it's about how your wife feels. And if I, I look at the wife, the husband, and he says, "You know, my wife doesn't. She doesn't. She's disrespectful toward me. We we're having this conversation. I'm talking with some friends. She comes over and interrupts me, and you know, finishes the story. Or I make decisions in our home. She chops me off at the knees. And you look at her, <clears throat> and then." What does she say? She says, yeah, you know, I I definitely respect my husband and appreciate the things he does. But the thing is, he doesn't feel respected. She doesn't feel loved. And so it's an issue not of what people claim. It's not an issue of whether a husband claims he loves his wife or a wife claims that she respects her husband. It's an issue of whether the wife feels loved Mm
2: -hmm. and whether a
1: husband feels respected. And that's really what compassion is. It's thinking about how someone feels or how we cause someone to feel. And so then if the husband wants to say, well, I love my wife, he can't really say that because the question to me isn't whether you say you love your wife. The question is whether your wife feels loved. And it's not a question of whether the wife says she respects her husband. It's a question of whether he feels respected. So I'll look at the husband mm. and I'll say, you know, your wife is saying she doesn't, she doesn't feel loved. What do you think you're doing that might be causing her to feel unloved? And what do you think you could do that could cause her to feel loved? And then ask the wife, what do you think you, you might be doing that's causing your husband to feel disrespected and, you know, what do you think you could do that could cause them to feel respected versus hurt? And then you prevent them from being able to claim, you know, that they love the person or respect the person despite what the person is saying. And it's really about what the person feels then, which I think is what compassion is.
2: For those who are really struggling and, and can't get wrap their heads around that, what would you say to them?
1: Mm-hmm. So I would say when you're in your marriage, when you're upset, instead of striving to be right and you know, just levy your opinion against your spouse, strive to understand how your spouse feels. Um, that I mean, that's what it means to be compassionate. Strive to understand how, how your actions have caused your spouse to feel. And so generally when people are upset, it's because their spouse isn't obeying the commands in God's word. And so a wife will be upset because her, she doesn't feel loved by her husband. And so I'll ask the husband, you know, really in this moment, try to not defend yourself not justify your behavior you know please don't if i can be honest with him if i think he's mature enough i'll say you know please don't make excuses please don't please don't justify your actions go ahead and just think about how your wife is feeling at this moment you know do you want her to continue feeling that way what do you think you've done wrong you can ask for forgiveness for and that's one of the other things we usually and i talk about this in the beginning of the workbook there's an accompanying workbook And by the way, people can buy, they can share one book, but they would each need their own workbook. And the reason is they do the workbook separately. And then they come together to talk about their answers because you shouldn't Ah. really be, you don't need to be answering questions about your spouse with your spouse sitting there looking at you, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want to be trying to feel rushed or nervous about trying to answer these honest questions uh, about your husband or wife while they're sitting there with you. So you do the the work separately. So that's why you can share a book, but you need your own workbook. And then you choose one time per week to come together to talk about those answers. And so toward the beginning of the workbook, I talk about the importance of asking for forgiveness the right way, because many people's apologies are more like excuses. You know, it's usually like, "Well, well, I'm sorry, but (laughs) <laughs> and then they kind of <laughs> blame the person or you know blame the kids or you know I I know I came home the other night upset and and yelled at you guys and I'm sorry but my boss was you know so mean he was a jerk today and he wouldn't give me vacation when I asked for it even though I've been working hard or whatever and that doesn't you you can watch how an insincere apology that's really an excuse causes even more hurt to someone but you can also see how a very genuine apology that requests forgiveness can diffuse bitterness and resentment i mean i've so if you're in counseling and a wife's really upset and you get the husband to ask for forgiveness the right way which involves saying you know i'm sorry i did this and then state what you did and then say will you please forgive me you can see how that can diffuse sometimes months or perhaps even years of, of genuine hurt that has been caused by the husband's behavior
0: i was uh curious about that workbook looking at it and thought oh that's such a great idea But yeah, I was picturing sitting there kind of filling in answers together. I like this idea more. It's kind of like, um what's that show oh the newlywed game you go to your separate rooms right? one answers and did i get it right honey
1: <laughs> yeah cuz i mean it takes time and i hope people are prayerful and i i say that you know you're not supposed to rush God. through this and ju- just do one one chapter or, or less per week there's no there's no urgency here you know just be sure you're working on it going through the questions and the sections in the book and take your time and pray and you know ask the lord what he would have you write down and try to try to think about examples. I mean, when you've got to give a couple of examples, they probably don't come to mind really quickly. So you have to spend some time thinking about it. And I generally feel like the more people put into this, then the better the results end up end up being. And I I know some people who've done the workbook and really committed to doing it well and have greatly grown and strengthened their marriages as a result.
2: And that was going to be a question of mine for those who have had the opportunity to pick up the book to pick up the uh, companion workbook as well. What has that response been like? And have you seen lives change for that?
1: Yeah, good, Colleen. So uh, most people, the feedback's been very good. Most people, I think, they want a stronger marriage and they recognize that applying God's word to it provides that. Um, there have been some people that thought it was, you know, pretty conservative. Maybe they didn't know what God's word says. And I'd, I'd like to think that even if people, you know, disagreed with parts of the book, they still thought that it was supported by the Bible. Um, i don 't I think if you 're going to be intellectually honest there the Bible does command these things I mean these verses are pretty clear, and so if I talk about something in the book it 's going to be supported by scripture and so if someone objects to something in the book they genu- genuine, generally have to be honest that they 're objecting to what god 's word says because it 's not a book of my opinions i didn 't 't i 'm not you know, the wisest person. I haven't been married 60 years. You know, I haven't counseled for 30 years. And so I can't, I can't write a marriage book and tell people my, all of my opinions and thoughts. Um, I want to tell people what God, you know, the author of marriage has to say. And so people have recognized that it's, it's biblical, um, conservative, and, you know, there are some people, they, They might not want to apply God's word, and those people have objected. But most people, that's not the case. Most people, I think Scripture bears witness, and they and they believe, hey, if God said this, you know, He knows what's best. Even if I've never heard this idea before, I'm going to strive to apply this to my relationship.
0: I don't know. There's nothing better than when you disagree with something. Well, grab your Bible, sit down, and wrestle with it, and why. Why don't I like this? And you know, and well, what does God's word say? And what do I have to do then if that's what it says? So
1: Yeah, well uh, yeah. said, Mike. Because basically we talk about walking by faith and and people think, oh, you know, you walk by faith if you're like a missionary that goes to some third world country and you know tries to live off the land. But really walking by faith is when we take God's word and even if it doesn't make sense to us, we decide we're gonna obey it. You know, that walking by faith is saying this doesn't make sense. In fact, I might disagree. But I trust that God knows what's best. So I'm going to strive, to strive to do this or strive to obey it, even if it doesn't make make sense to me. So that's part of how what it means to walk by faith and trust the Lord as we go through this life.
0: Well, tell us, how can we uh, pick up this book and the workbook and start working on our marriage? And also, how can we uh, connect and follow along with you and see what else is next for you?
1: good thanks mike so my website scottlapierre.org that's just my name and maybe you guys can put put that in the show notes um dot eorg is my website people can find out all the information about me there that's kind of the hub where everything goes out from there and then the, the book and workbook your marriage god's way it's sold wherever books are sold people can get it from amazon or barnes and noble or christianbook.com and there's a free gift on my website too actually a little biblical pamphlet that I put together that I hope, you know, just want to give people for free that I hope would be a blessing to them, to your listeners.
0: Thank you so much, Pastor Scott, for joining us today. Look forward to checking out this book and doing a little summer school on my marriage this
1: year. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> I appreciate your attitude. Yeah. We all have things to learn and ways to grow. So thank you very much. Thank you to Colleen.
2: And thank you so much for listening and for joining us today. Remember, don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.